Hi, I'm Ben. Hi, I'm Rob. We've been mates since we met at drama school in 2004. We're both actors, and for the last 10 years we've been working in all sorts of productions, from small fringe shows to big arena tours. We love the theatre, so we thought we would make a podcast to bring you a series of inspiring conversations with interesting people from the world of theatre. So this is our podcast. Welcome to Inside the West End. Inside the West End, with Ben Morris and Rob Copeland. Thank you for downloading episode six of Inside the West End. Follow us on Twitter at Inside West End, or if you want to get in contact, email Inside the West End at gmail.com. Coming up, we speak to Twitter sensation and columnist for the stage newspaper, West End Producer. A few years ago, West End Producer exploded onto Twitter as a hybrid of some of the UK's most prominent theatrical producers. His tongue-in-cheek tweets poke fun at the industry and have gained him a huge following as well as invites to all of the high-profile events in the West End. His identity is an incredibly tightly kept secret. Um, To keep this up, he wears a latex mask, which totally covers his whole head, including a wig. In fact, the only part of his face you can see are his eyes. Uh, He doesn't normally take part in audio interviews. So the way we managed to persuade him to do it is if we agreed to add a vocal distorter to his voice. So that's why his voice sounds a little bit different. His reasoning for asking us to do this is because he claims that Andrew Lloyd Webber has a team of spies constantly following him, trying to find out his real identity. In short, he's a very controversial figure. Uh, So we want to point out that any of the views that he expresses on individuals or on organisations in this episode in no way reflect mine, Ben's or this podcast belief. They are solely his own thoughts. There's the legal disclaimer there. So without further ado, here it is. Lock up your ensemble dancers and fasten your theatrical cravats, dear. For the man, the legend, West End producer. This is West End producer, and you're listening to Inside the West End, dear. Can I just pause? this? Absolutely. Yes. Would you like me to see that for you? Yes, thank I you. I was so literally much. just about to start the intro to our conversation with West End producer when the door of the office that we're in at the stage newspaper burst open and a lady came in bearing a tray with a, a flute and a bottle of baby sham. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't get more glamorous than this, no, does it, West no. End producer? This is respect, my dear. This is fame. And I must add that uh, it has been presented to me in the most camp, jazz-hand-friendly pink flute you've ever seen. And I feel so at home, my dear. How to get on the good side of a producer... Try them with alcohol, dear. <laughs> would, would that be your advice to us? Should should we uh, come across a producer in an audition anytime soon? Are you planning on coming across producers, <laughs> my dear? Oh, well, I don't know how you're running this uh, industry. No, oh, oh, well, of course, alcohol and drinking and socialising and, and contacts, I suppose, is a very important part of the business. And if you do find yourself, I'd say, at the Ivy or Soho House or somewhere like that of a Friday or Saturday evening, and you see a producer, or a director um, 
having a merry old time, get them absolutely savagely sloshed, my dear, and then later on, when they're vomiting in the corner, take photos of them and then bribe them the following week. And that is how some of our most well-known West End stars got their big break. Bribery, my dear. It's all down to that. <laughs> well, tell us, who was the young... West End producer. Who were you as a young person? I was, I suppose, quite fortunate to be taken to the theatre as a young man um, because my parents adored it, you see. And I suppose that's how I initially became excited by it. And then at one time when I was uh, uh, working backstage on a production of Barnum and got to know a lot of the uh, cast, you see, and was touched in an intimate area by one of the cast members, and from that moment, I've always associated pleasure with theatre. So I'm constantly lacking backstage and producing shows in the hope that I do once again get touched in that stage right with <laughs> I do hope I'm not being too naughty, my dear. Not at all. We're looking for the honest story, so I'm glad you're not holding back. Well, well, you know, one thing I can be is honest, my dear, which is why I wear this latex mask. Um, So when you talk about this first experience in the world of theatre, when did you realise that you wanted to turn it into your profession? I always find, um, and I'm full of adoration um, for anybody involved in the theatre, um, because it's not just uh, the actors um, and the directors who are the creatives. The producers um, are the people also that sometimes have that collective vision. However you are involved in theatre, it's a creative opportunity. One of my earliest memories was seeing a man in a dress, my dear... And for a while I was confused. I didn't quite realise and understand what was going on. But, of course, then I realised that I was watching a pantomime. And that's when I realised, again, that I was kinky for theatre. I was just kinky for everything to do with theatre. And ever since then, you see, I always take my uh, uh, godchildren to the pantomime. It's such a, it's a wonderful event. Um, and I must say, the snobbery in the business about pantomime, I think, is awful. And those people should be chastised and castrated because they obviously have not seen a good pantomime it is it in some respects is what allows some theatres to survive particularly regional theatres growth uh, in their community have you done any i've done many have you yes. so you do have that skill I'd like to think so. Ooh, excellent. I may lack others, but... Well, <laughs> dear, we all lack certain it's, things. Yeah. It's when they shouted, it's behind you, your career, it's y- behind yes, you. Yes, he, he got offended. Yes, but <laughs> he went, I need to do a podcast or something. Yeah. I need to, do that stage, yes. <laughs> to be a producer, yes. you have to have a lot of confidence. Yes. You clearly have it in abundance. Where do you think your confidence comes from? It's alcohol, my dear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, alcohol. But it's also uh, uh, trust and finding the right uh, c- colleagues to collaborate with. I mean, that is the important thing. We all know so many directors out there who, who direct by casting the right people. You know dear old Trevor Nunn. I mean, bless him. He just casts the right people, and that is a skill in its own right. Um, and it makes your job so much easier. So I'm going to cast Julia, I'm going to cast this person, because they know what they're doing. Um, and it's the same with producing. After a while, you get to know which people to collaborate with, which ones not to, and uh, which ones, like Billy Kenwright always does, are the nice cheap ones, you know. 
And and with regards to those um, those big personalities in the industry, mm. you have brought your personality to the fore on Twitter. Mm. And do you feel that social media is uh, a part of the industry which is becoming far more important for creatives uh, and performers? It is. Sadly, it, uh, excuse me. I need a sip of my. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll tell you something. I know some very well-known directors who say that if they get their breakdown from the casting director, they will go online and see how many Twitter followers the actor has, if they have things on SoundCloud, if they have a YouTube channel. Um, They will literally go through each social media thing and find out as much information about that performer as possible. So what I think performers need to be aware of, and I don't think it's entirely a positive thing, is that you are a brand, you are a business. Um, If you were, um, say, Waitrose or something, you would be presenting something every day. Your brand would be presented in the adverts. Uh, If you're on YouTube, use it. Use it to your advantage, because people will just, you know, Google you and see what photos there are of you naked in a drain outside Weatherspoons in Leicester Square on a Friday night at 2 o'clock. That's how many actors get their jobs, because new always serves, my dear. But yes, in answer to your question, Twitter followers is important. Show business by many is seen as a game. Yes. Do you think it's a game that you need to learn how to play? My dear, it's a deadly game. And if you don't play it correctly, you could die in front of thousands of people and your family will never speak to you again. Your agents will drop you uh, and you will be left shaken in a corner of the Donmar warehouse. Passing the fact that you never got to play Hamlet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Terribly sorry, that was the alcohol coming up. No, what uh, I think it is, if you uh, take an audition, for example, you learn how to be in an audition. You learn not to be too desperate. I've seen so many desperate people who come in, and they, the game is, I suppose, if you want to put yourself out there, the way that your reputation will precede you. If you get a reputation as being rather awkward to whack with, um, people will know. Directors do call other directors and say, I've seen you've worked with Rob or Ben. Now, how are they? And if the director then says, no, they were awful and awkward and had the talent of Louis Spence, sadly, you will no longer work for them, you see. So it's just, I suppose it's being self-aware, but also enjoying it, because it's a silly game. It's a silly business, and there is no other like it, really. Mm. How would you uh, best describe the triple threat? Yes. Uh, well, the, uh, basically, to become a triple threat in today's uh, society, it's very important. And the way that you do it is you change your stage name so that your surname says Stralum. Um, and that is how you become a triple threat, my dear. Easy as pie. Actually, I must say, there are some people who are a triplet threat, aren't they? They can sing, they can dance, they can act, they can, they can play instruments, they can play with themselves, they can, they can uh, wear all manner of costumes and they can do gymnastics. That's another thing. How do you get a job at the RSC, my dear? Go on a circus training course, my dear. They love their circus skills there. They really do. So it's really just using any and every skill you have and put it on your CV. Do you feel that um, students graduating from drama school are ready for the industry? 
Well, not all of them. I, I think that because the industry is changing um, and, and it is expected that there's a certain standard, when we look at a CV and we see someone is trained at, say, Artshead or Guildford, etc., we expect them to be a certain standard. Of course, if we look at the same CV and see Millennium 2000 or the Bridge Theatre School, then we don't think that same standard is going to apply, sadly. But, of course, each drama school has different disciplines. Um, uh, I'd say Artshead now, it used to be, it was just more musical theatre. Now the acting's really high up there. Um, Mountview, I'd say the same as it, Rada, of course. You leave Rada and you have a head start. Again, that's the elitism in the business. The Landers as well. Because it's expected that they are the very good straight actors. But uh, it is starting to change slightly now. So you mentioned elitism. You feel the trend is starting to change? Well, only because people have started to talk about it. Now, if you look around um, at most actors out there, most successful actors that we have on televisions, on Downton, on all these things on television, apart from, of course, the Coronation Streets and the EastEnders, um, it tends to be people with a plummy, posh accent. Most people that get employed, uh, I would say in a lot of the big theatre companies, um, they, they, they're all the Etonian crowd. They really are, and, and there are more of them out there. And that is the point. It is um, people from a working class background, if you think you're from Manchester, say, and you have a casting, you, you have an audition for Rada, just being able to afford to get the train fare down to London to then pay the £60 for the audition to then go back, then to get a recall, many people can't even afford to audition for John School. And that's what annoys me. Whereas the uh, upper class people can get Daddy's checkbook and they can afford to uh, go to drama school. They can afford to live in London. They can afford to be out of work without doing awful jobs uh, involving prostitution and telesales, etc. Well, let's be honest, telesales is prostitution, isn't it, my dear? <laughs> um, you know what I mean? So they, they have um, a, a gift, and that gift is daddy's wallet. They can afford to sit and wait for the right castings, whereas some working-class actors or actors who don't have the money have to just take any acting work they can do or any work they can do um, to simply afford to live in London. We, we are, after all, living in the most expensive place to live in the world. You talk about working as an actor, and, and as we know, it's a very precarious profession. It's got ups, it's got downs. What advice would you give uh, to any of the, any actors looking for work between performing jobs? I've spoken to a lot of young actors who are in between work and how they survive. And lots of people do whatever they can. They uh, teach, uh, they wait at tables, they um, work in saunas in Soho. They seriously do whatever they can. Um, unless you're, you know, unless you're one of those posh Benedict Cumberbatchy people, in which case you, you have the money to be able to do that. But these people have to work. Um, so most of the time, actors are out of work. That is a fact. I think it's 90% of actors are out of work and 10% are in work at one time. So if you are out of work and you're doing a job you don't like, you have to have something, I think, that drives you, that keeps you passionate, whether that be going to the theatre, whether that be writing, whether that be ball-changing in Soho. <laughs> you know what I mean, that kind of thing. Or and, and, and if you are in a job 
selling, I don't know, cat insurance to the over-60s, you have to think to yourself, this, in the words of Avenue Q, is only for now. This is not your job. Your job is acting. And sadly, these little jobs that you do in between allow you to do that. And you always must remember that. And be quite proud, I always say to acting chums, that I, I admire them. I really do, because it gets harder by the year. The amount of graduates there are, the amount of people that are out of work, yet these people try to still do what they want to do because they have a passion and a desire to do it. And I, 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 I just take my hats off to every single one of them because it's a hard job, yet they keep trying. And the exciting thing, I suppose, is that it could change at any moment. You could get that call to be the new the new car mechanic in Hollyoaks, or that tour of, uh, of Hull, um, uh, the nursery school's tour of puppetry of the penis. Whatever, whatever it is that you want to do, it is within your grasp, I think. You're obviously, as a, as a prolific producer, yeah. you've sat in on dozens and dozens of auditions. Yes, yes. What advice would you give to actors out there about how they should approach auditions. I would say, don't wear trousers that are too tight. Um, It can be quite off-putting, particularly boys who have just graduated from drama school. At the moment, it's very common to have these boys come in wearing tight, skinny trousers, jeans, shorts. And all we can do whilst they're singing their lovely top A and why God why, we are distracted by their bulge. We are not looking at what they're singing. We are not listening to them. We are just staring in horror, fury, at the sheer spectacle of what is going on in front of us. And don't come in uh, too desperate. I see lots of people come in very desperate. Avoid crying. Um, I know that sounds ridiculous, but so many people come in and start crying halfway through their song, after their song. There are mixed feelings about this, but if you are very ill and you feel you can't sing to your normal standard, let us know. Um, Feel comfortable and know when you walk in that actually I've been sitting here for two days trying to cast the part of the helicopter in Miss Saigon and quite frankly I'm over the bloody thing. So... If you come in and you are the right person to play that helicopter, I will be overjoyed. I want you to be the right person. And that is something that you have to remember. We want you to get the job. And so how do you know if you are behaving in a desperate manner? Well, just stop talking too much, my dear. Sometimes people do the most wonderful audition ever and talk themselves out of the job. They say, well, I got up, and I'm sorry that the song went on a bit, and I had to leave the house this morning with a dog. I didn't have a sitter. And then I went, and with last week, you'll see, I was away on holiday. They just talk and talk. That's one thing. Um, There's a wonderful thing, isn't there, on the Internet at the moment, um, which Brian Cranston said from Breaking Bad, and I couldn't agree more. If you could change the way you think of an audition to be you are coming in as an actor or a singer, a performer, to show some work that you've been doing, um, it may change the way you think of an audition. So it's not an audition. You are just performing for us in a room with a director and a casting director and you're already rehearsing. 
Think of it like that, I suppose. Think that the job's already yours. What if you know the casting director, if you know Anne Vassar, you've met her a couple of times, don't leap over to her and stick your tongue in her mouth and go, how lovely to see you, my dear. Don't do that, unless Anne does it first, in which case you should do whatever you want to do. Hope you're enjoying the conversation. Stay with us and we'll be back to the chat in a moment. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We release a new episode every Sunday and if you're subscribed, it'll just appear on your device ready for you to listen to. Whether you're using an iPhone or an Android or a laptop of some kind, it's easy to subscribe. All you need to do is go to your normal podcast app. If it's an iPhone, then next to the logo of our show, you'll see a little settings wheel that looks like a cog. Click on that. A few options down. It says subscribe. Or if you're using an Android phone, then on the Double Pod app, next to the logo of our show, is the subscribe button. Easy as that. And the best part is, it's totally free. Make sure you stay tuned right to the end of this episode, and you'll hear a clip revealing who's on next week's show. Now back to West End Producer. Once the actor has then booked that job, yes. as a producer, you're going to be quite financially savvy. Mm. How do you feel about the equity minim- minimum wage? And are you comfortable with what that is, or how do you feel about that? Again, we live in London, my dear, and most actors do. So when working in London, working for equity minimum is tough. Um, equity do a marvellous job, but I think they need to do a bit more of a marvellous job. Equity minimum is hard, particularly if you're touring, you're in digs, you're paying rent in London, you're paying rent on tour, and you're paying you know, commission to your agent and you're left with £10 in your bank account every week. It can be quite difficult. Um, I often think that it, uh, the thing that I, I, I don't like is the share of money that's given to actors. So we get some big Western shows where the leads are on 15,000 a week, and then you get some dancers on, what is it, 520, depending on the size of the theatre, or 450. Um, now, that to me seems totally wrong. I mean, you really don't do a Western musical unless you're playing the leads or you're a name and earn a lot of money. I know many actors who've worked in the West End who then do another job at the same time to supplement their income. I find it quite insulting. These people are skilled performers who have trained for years and they should be given, it should be paid back to them in their wages. Of course, you'll see the designers get their fee, directors get their fee, uh, front of house staff get their fee. Who are the people who we can cut wages from and be certain that we can still get them to perform? Actors. And that is the sad. That is the sadness about it all. They are the people that we can always pay less and there will be some people who will work for that money, which is why profit share works. There's a tendency in our, in, in, in our business for actors um, not to say what they feel or, or living in fear about asking for more money or uh, saying about things that aren't working in the rehearsal room because they don't want to be blacklisted. In that case, I think all actors need to come together. It's safety in numbers, man. You spoke about the fear of piping up and yes. speaking your mind. Do you think that's a warranted fear? Do you think it's justified? It depends how you do it, isn't it? If you uh, stand up and say something and then start you know, throwing the complete works of Shakespeare at Cameron Mackintosh's head and uh, being quite violent at him. It's not the way to go around it, is it? But if you do it properly, if you stand up, you speak to your company manager, you, you contact equity, you speak to your agent, I don't think there's anything to worry about. Uh, because you, uh, you are probably saying what a lot of people are thinking. And we won't look at you as a problem performer because um, we will value what you're saying. I, I think you are totally valid 
to raise a point if you're unhappy about something. But do it the right way. Company manager equity. Don't go storming off there straight away. You mentioned earlier profit share. Yes. Uh, you briefly touched on it. What, how do you feel about that world? Uh, for anyone listening who's unaware of profit share, by that we mean productions where the producer will essentially say, if this show makes a profit, then you will earn money. It depends. You'll have to know exactly why you're doing that show. A profit share for a good company, say Southwark Playhouse, the Union, Jam Street, etc., um, Finbra, can be a very good thing because if it runs for more than three weeks, you will get the national press there, you will get reviewed, you will get critics, uh, you, will, you can invite agents along. So if you um, are doing it for that reason, then I say go ahead and do it. It's about knowing what you'll get back from it. A profit share, really, you don't tend to get very much money back. Now, because of some uh, companies seeming to sell out, yet the actor's getting nothing, there's an open book policy starting to come into play, so you can then see what all the money went on to and who got all the money back, and I think that is very important. So it's an honesty, it's a transparency. Um, But if you are playing a lead and you're able to play a lead and you want to invite agents and you want to move forward and you think, no, this is going to be good for my career and you can afford to do it, it can be a good thing. Um, But again, it it is that thing of me going, most profit share shows, some very good ones, make money. So who does the money go to? Somebody. Mm. Now, productions are expensive. To put on a fringe show can cost thousands. So again, who, sadly, are the people... um, whose wages were cut and left to the last minute, it's the actors. So just be aware and use it to your advantage, I would say. What has been the hardest moment of your career? Well, that's an interesting one, isn't it? There have been many hard moments backstage in dressing rooms. (laughs) I suppose it was trying to tell Amanda Holden to get off my mask when she tried to pull it off. That was quite a difficult one, really, wasn't it? She was, she was behind me, taunting me. You'll see it to your dear listeners. I, I don't know if they're aware that I wear this latex mask. And this lovely mask, you'll see, I wear because I'm a little bit anonymous, you'll see. So I, I, I go around to these things and I tweet and write what I want. And, um, and I can do it because I'm wearing my mask. And if people knew who I was, uh, Billy Kenwright and Lord River would... Well, it spanked me, my dear. It spanked until it hurt a lot. You are known for, um, in a very warm and tongue-in-cheek way, in my opinion, poking fun at the industry. Oh, yes, I love poking things, dear. <laughs> have you, have any of these people ever spoken to you at the, the press nights, the numerous... Um... Oh, yes, I spoke to them all, my dear. I know um, Cameron, dear Cammy, Cammy Mackey, as I call him, he understands what I do. He gets its tongue-in-cheek. It's nothing personal. Uh, same with Lloyd Webber. He's a lovely man. But you, but you see, from my point of view as well, of being a producer, I know how it is and the investment, the heart and soul that it takes to put on a show. So when I do prod, it's done with love. It's done with a joy. I admire these people so much. You famously, on April Fool's, I think it was either last year or the year yes. before, there was an article... Was it in the stage? It was what's on stage. What's on stage, yes. Where you revealed that you were, of course... 
Bill Kenwright yes, on yes. April Fool's Day. That's right. How did he react to that? So on that day, I called his office and I said, "Yes, it's a wet idea. I'm, it's, uh, may I speak to Billy Kenwright, please?" And then there was a silence, and someone said, why do you want to talk to him? I said, it's West End producer here, dear, and I just want to see if he enjoyed the joke. And someone on the other end said something like, yes, we know it's you, my dear, and no, he didn't. Thank you, and hung up on me. (laughs) So that tells you how much Billy Kenwright adores me. Another form of flattery is awards, and many of your shows down through the years will have received uh, several awards for all sorts of different things. Um, What's your view on that side of the industry? Well, you see, it, it can be quite a... Awards, uh, some of them are valid, some of them are silly, and some of them are just downright outrageous. The problem is that there are so many award ceremonies these days. There's the Olivier's, there's the What's on Stage, there's uh, the Evening Standard, there's um, the, 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 the West End Frame thing, the West End, there's loads of award ceremonies, isn't there? Um, the Office as well. And I think they are all valid in their own way, but... There are so many. I mean, we could start an award ceremony right now. Shall we? Just for the sake of it. Why don't we do the, the Inside the West End Awards? Awards. So there you go. You've okay. heard it here first. There's another another bloody theatre award. What now. would the categories be? Um, How many West End performers you've been inside of? (laughs) (laughs) Because it's inside of the West End. That's what I thought this whole podcast was about, which is why I agreed to do it. Best best performer inside, as in in prison. Yes, that's good. Well done. Yes, yes. yes. You see, so keep posted, my dear listeners, because soon you'll hear about these awards. You see, the problem I have with some of them is it's a popularity contest, some of them. So you get these ones which are voted on by the public. Well, how many of the public have seen the shows. Isn't it just you going, please vote for me? The Evening Standard Awards, all the famous people, all the celebrities won the awards now, really. It all, well, there was one, wasn't it, the newcomer. But it was all to do with selling the favour. It was all to do uh, with uh, these are the kind of people that we get at our awards. So all the famous people won. Now, the Olivia Awards are the most well-respected of all the awards. So why not broaden them out? Include all the theatres throughout the UK, um, because uh, it's not like people don't go off and see productions now. So they just need to be more encompassing, if you ask me. That's the problem. Obviously, producers are often pushed into a corner, need to have celebrities to sell their shows now. Yes. How do you view that world? My dear, one has to embrace it. Sadly, it's a sign of the times. It's all down to Heat magazine, isn't it, really? People like um, their famous people. And it took me a while. I was against it for a while, because why should we pay whatever it was? I didn't, for Lindsay Lohan in Speed the Proud, but no, <laughs> no doubt she was on some... I mean, what a car crash. I mean, honestly, bless her. A lovely, a lovely lady. I can see why you might have thought she was right for that part, but I'm sure David Mamet would just spent days, weeks in, in, in rehabilitation after watching that production. She really didn't know what she was doing, did she? My dear darling Lindsay, yes, yes, that's right, yes, come centre stage, yes, down stage, dear, yes, don't fall over, my dear, that's right, open your lips and talk, well done. You know, bless her. It really was, it really was an, a, a masterclass in how not to do it. And that's something that you should do if you, as an actor, if you hear something's not very good, go and see it. 
then you can see how not to do it, you know. Um, so, um, sadly, though, that didn't put off the public. People like um, their famous people. And it took me a while. I was against it for a while. My point is, it will sell. So if Chandler had called me and said, my dear wife, I want to do, I want to do Uncle Vanya. <laughs> and I want to play Uncle Vanya. I would have uh, laughed heartily to myself, but said... Absolutely, my dear. That's a wonderful idea. I was actually thinking of how Chekhov was written for you, Matthew Perry. Um, you know, because it would sell. And the argument is, if these people bring a new audience into the theatre, then really, who cares? You must admire them slightly, because they know that they're going to be heavily criticised. So they are putting themselves on the line as well. I mean, it's just unfair, I suppose, that you have to be that name to, to, to play those roles. That's the problem. And that is what it is becoming now. It was why I was talking about social media. I think actors these days have to be... Uh, have to also think sometimes I need something that makes me stand out. Commercial side, it's all, it's, it's a business. Subsidised, it's a charity, of course. So that's the big difference as well that I must, I must say. So at the National, you won't get all this, you know, it's all the time. Mm. Of course, you'll get Bendy Dick coming my patch and uh, <laughs> Johnny Lee Miller in there uh, doing their little bits and bobs. But they have a pre-existing audience, so they don't have to bother as much. But you get the commercial producers who, who bank on these stars to get their audiences, whether the show's bad or not. You know everyone and everything there is to know about the world of theatre. Your experience is huge. We have to ask you. We're making a theatre podcast. Yes. Do you have any advice for us? Anything that you'd like to hear from a theatre podcast? Oh, that's very interesting, isn't it? I would say... Well, obviously, I'm looking at it from your point of view. You're obviously wanting to have lots of listeners. Obviously, that's why you're doing a podcast. Um, so find something that I would say is your unique selling point of this podcast. Now, has there been a podcast like this before where you're interviewing people, asking them their thoughts... I suppose there hasn't, so that is one good thing. Um, get as many high-profile... Tell you what, I'll call Lindsay Lohan and... <laughs> I don't know that she'll be that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I, yes, I think it's... But also, I, why, I think it's about speaking to people, uh, to, to, to the real actors as well. Speak to some people who are jobbing actors. Speak to some people who are in the ensemble of kinky books or think or, or some swings about how they found their life so that you've got a nice mixture of the famous people. And I suppose, yes, it's like a theatre production, isn't it? You've got your leads, you've got your Tim Mintrons. You've, you've got, got our producer. Those. You need to offer practical advice. You need to offer... You know, like now, OK, so now we're going to do, if any actors are listening, a vocal warm-up. OK, right? fabulous. So, fabulous. This is to the vocal warm up goes like this. It goes John Michael Ball Berman, Michael John Berman Balls. Okay, so it's nice and together and John Michael Balls Barrowman, Michael John Barrowman Balls. And then quicker. John Michael Ball Barrowman, Michael John Barrowman John. John Michael Barrowman, John Michael Barrowman Balls. It's a good one, isn't it? Fabulous. Good. Is, is, is there another one? Equity minimum, equity million. Well, as if, as if equity million would ever be anything like equity million. How about that one? Three, 
Equity minimum, equity million, equity minimum, equity million, equity minimum, equity million, equity minimum, equity million. So there you'll see, we are giving, are giving actual techniques to the actors. That's what we need to do. So the next episode, I want you to tell all actors how to cry on cue, how to walk on stage without getting an on-stage erection, um, how to sing with a lovely vacant stare in their eyes and walk down stage with energy and purpose on the key change. Perhaps this is a feature that we can we can have you you uh, help us with each each episode. Perhaps yes, that would be fun. Wouldn't that be good if you, if you yes. uh, help us out with that each week? You could give an extra a little tip. Yeah, that would be fun. We're hoping to have a very diverse uh, listenership yes. to this podcast. Uh, we want to to speak to. Um, both people who are looking for encouragement who are currently working in the industry but also people who aspire to work in the industry so what advice would you give to someone who wanted to work inside the West End just don't (laughs) get a proper job my dear Um, get a job that gives you a company car um, a pension um, and some proper independence in your life you may think it's a wonderful business it really isn't my dear it's a bloody awful mess of a business get a proper job for goodness sake you silly people well we will leave you to neck the rest of your baby sham uh, and on that we'd just like to say thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us it's been a real honour no the honour's all mine my dears well done lovely to meet you both in your hairy faces well done <laughs> And should you have any jobs going, you know where we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I told you, there's the nursery school store of puppetry of the penis. So if you're available, we, of course, we, the auditions are very frenetic, frantic and involved in that. So I'll let you know and we can put in a... Put, we'll give you a nice slot. We'll give you a long <laughs> slot. <laughs> A big thank you to West End producer for taking the time to speak to us. As we all know, he's a very, very important busy man. Uh, but he's also been an avid supporter of this podcast. He's really gone out of his way to to help us uh, get it out there and share it on Twitter. So a massive thank you. And look, we're both massive fans of him on Twitter. You need to read his book. It's very, very funny. It's called Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Acting But Were Afraid to Ask, Dear. And look out this Christmas. He's got a new book out. If you want more information on that then go on at west end producer and follow his feed also a massive thank you to you our listeners we have listeners all around the world thousands of you out there listening to us so get in contact with us we'd love to hear what you think of the show on twitter at inside west end thank you to you guys who have already written reviews on itunes about what we're doing we really appreciate it it really helps us keep the momentum going and keeping us in the charts so thanks to you guys uh, word of mouth also helps that if you know anyone who likes theater or likes listening to podcasts generally tell them about what we're doing uh, we've lined up some really exciting guests for the upcoming episodes so spread the word Remember to stay tuned to the very end for a clip of the next episode. But before that, we make this podcast for free. If you've enjoyed it and you'd like to help us make future episodes, then here's how you can. Next time you shop online with Amazon, visit InsideTheWestEnd.com first. Click on any of the Amazon adverts on our site. It will take you straight to Amazon. Your shopping will cost you exactly the same as normal, but Amazon will give us a small kickback as a thank you. Also on InsideTheWestEnd.com, you'll see a donate button. If you'd like to make a direct contribution, then click on the button and follow the link. Now, as promised, we have a clip of the next episode with the Aussie who has become the go-to actor for any original cast or West End revival, Damien Homley.
you rock up in London with this confidence and go into these auditions and you're suddenly going to be playing a Jew of Leeds in a West End show. There was a lot of things at the time that uh, were uh, affecting it directly. There's a a lack of understanding because I came in not, not at all cocky, not at all. And, you know, looking back to that kid, that's why, because that kid had his grandparents around, that kid had his mum. The kid was hopefully relatively grounded. I think I just didn't understand it. To me, that was that's what happens. You come to London and you work at getting a, a job and you get the job. I think, I think the understanding came later. The mind job came later when I would work and work and work and then after two years, nothing was kind of happening. I didn't work for two years after Fiddle on the Roof. No, one year after Fiddle on the Roof. And uh, that's when the mind job happens. Mm. Now, what am I doing with my life? You're a very confident person. You're not in my brain. (laughs) (laughs) 